How are you, Ray? Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to NGSBA's Blog Talk Radio Show, Conversations on New Jersey's Education, a show dedicated to creating a conversation among those of us in the education community and beyond on the important education issues of the day. Uh, a conversation that brings the state leaders to you, and uh, and I hope that you all feel free to join in the conversation. My name is Ray Penny. I'll be your host this morning. Before I get started, however, I would like Barbara to tell you how to participate. Hi, everybody. To call in, please dial 1-347-989-8904. That number again, 1-347-989-8904. When you're ready to make a comment or ask a question, just press 1 on your phone. That will indicate to me that you've got something to say. I'll get your name and your question or topic, and we'll put you on the air. If you're just listening on your computer, we do have a chat room feature that you can log into. We will be monitoring the chat room, and we'll pass along some of the comments or questions to our speakers. To log on to the chat room, you will need to register with Blog Talk Radio. Thank you, Barbara. Since Watergate, the idea of transparency in government has become an issue. With the passing of the Open Public Meetings Act, better known as the Sunshine Law, over 30 years ago, local government agencies, including school boards, have been using that law as a framework for how they do business. Later, the Open Public Records Act was also passed. Though both these laws have been around, for, especially the Sunshine Law, have been around for some time, the technology around them has changed and now is always bringing new issues to the forefront. Many believe that the two laws should be amended to give the public better access to local government, and some, are uh, and some are concerned on the other hand that while I support transparency in government, government needs to have some freedom to be efficient. Today we will be discussing two laws, two bills, S-1451 and S-1452, that are proposed to change both the Open Public Meetings Act and the Open Public Records Act. I have two guests with me today. Uh, my first guest is Vito Gagliardi, Jr., an attorney with the firm of Porzio, Bromberg, and Newman. He is also a principal with the firm and represents many school districts in the state of New Jersey. Welcome, Vito. Thank you very much for having me on, Ray. It's great to have you. Uh, my other guest is Ed Barocas, who is a legal director with the AC the American Civil, Civil Liberties Union of New Jersey, the New Jersey chapter. Welcome, Ed. Uh, thank you very much, Ray. Okay, uh, I hope I, I think you know I I read through both these bills and I think uh it will if they ever pass uh they w it would change the the works of not just school boards but this is a school board association but also uh planning boards zoning boards municipal government and other agencies. Ed, these two bills S14 and 51 amend the current Sunshine Law and Open Public Records Act. Uh why do you think the laws need to be amended in, in the first place? Right. Well, really, what they what they do is uh, plug some of the holes that exist in the current Open Public Meetings Act and Open Public Records Act. As you mentioned, uh, these are uh, were passed years ago, and there is new technology. So, for example, uh, when uh, there were rules regarding open public meetings, uh, no one thought at the time that they were passed that we would have the ability to sit there on a tiny computer on our lap and uh, have two council people or three or four texting with each other uh, discussing the public business, uh, which is supposed to be literally public, and now it's gone private by text. Uh, so 
what what we did, uh, the ACLU, once we found out that these bills were going to be introduced, is uh, to figure out what our main concerns are and then meet with the League of Municipalities. Because, uh, you know, as you mentioned, uh, there are concerns about open government, but they also have to work and they ha there has to be efficiency. And we don't want it where it's an either-or choice, because it's not. Uh, there, there can be both open government to the greatest extent possible and appropriate, but also uh, not infringing upon the efficiency of government itself. So we actually tried to work that out with the League of Municipalities. We jointly submitted recommendations to the chief sponsor, and uh, hopefully many of those will be adopted in the final bill. Uh, Vito, um, well, I should mention too that the the bills are uh, sponsored. The prime sponsor is Loretta Weinberg uh, from the 37th Legislative District in the Majority Leader. Uh, Vito, um, you work with a good number of districts. Do you see a pressing need to change the Sunshine Law? Uh, you know, in the Open Public Records Act, or it just needs to be pretty much followed as is. Um, I, I do not see a pressing need to change the law, but that's not because I'm uh, going to advocate for a lack of disclosure. I think that if I were going to take the laws as they exist and the proposed changes, I would say greater clarity in the law is good. Greater burden is bad. Um, clarity in terms of what, what the uh, change in the law, which came about in, in 2001, and any proposed changes, for example, you know, documents should be reasonably accessible. Well, of course, that meant different things to different people. Sometimes folks had nefarious motives. Sometimes they were just confused. But there was no consistency, and it often involved having to contact um, the attorney for the for the um, municipal entity or school board, or it involved. Um, Ed's organization or other organizations fighting over things they didn't need to fight about. And so the clarity in terms of what needs to be produced in a specific time frame rather than just say reasonably accessible, that was a wonderful thing because that, that saved taxpayer dollars and it provided for predictable, definitive um, public access. But then when you talk about things like um, we see, for example, in the proposed changes to the Open Public Records Act, where if anything is redacted, the um, custodian of records has to prepare an affidavit for the request with all sorts of detailed information. Um, my goodness, that is going to be remarkably counterproductive. Um, believe me, there are plenty of things for lawyers, for governing bodies to do without having to get involved in this, but you know that no custodian of records is going to be drafting and signing an affidavit without the involvement of counsel. And so the um, folks who are in favor of greater public access, many of whom are also the same folks who complain about property taxes, will be increasing burdens and increasing costs. And I don't know that we're really advancing the ball. You know, Even the example um, um, Ed gave, um, if, uh, if uh, you're old enough, and I'll be the only one here who admits to being old enough, <laughs> to remember life before all this technology, okay? Before people uh, who were serving on a government body together during a meeting could um, text each other, they could pass notes, or they could lean over and whisper in each other's ears, or they could go out to, for for a cigarette or go to the bathroom at the same time. And heaven forbid, we're not going to start to legislate when board members and council people can go to the bathroom uh, or go sneak a smoke. You have to walk further now because you can't smoke on school property. But other than that, <laughs> those sort of rituals 
have not changed. And since it's perfectly lawful for two council people when the governing body is not in session to have that conversation, and it's perfectly lawful for them to have it even when it is in session, the idea of trying to legislate all of that I don't know is a necessarily productive activity. And some of these other things, which aren't very productive, as I said, will will create definite and definitive burdens and expenses at a time when uh, government simply can't afford to take on additional and not necessarily um, productive um, burdens. Um, Ed, uh, Vito brought up the point, I guess, the cost of some of this. And I know when the proponents argue for this, uh, and we'll go through each of the – some of the provisions anyway. We don't have enough days to go through all the provisions, but um, – there are, at least from some people's perspective, there might be some cost uh, associated with that. Uh, Vito touched on uh, the redaction, and we'll get to that one later. Uh, it changes the role, uh, the role of committees. Uh, I think the, the the bill calls them subcommittees, but for people on the Board of Ed, they each have committees. Uh, why do they need to be more open? And there, I, I would assume, and Vito may argue this too, that – so if districts are not advertising those meetings uh, now, the committee meetings, and some of some school boards I do know do that, isn't there an additional cost for just advertising those meetings? Right. So um, th- this is an issue that arose because there were uh, a number of instances where there were essentially subcommittees that were given the responsibilities of making decisions um, for the public or for the use of public funds, uh, and because it was given to a subcommittee, uh, that responsibility, rather than by the full board, uh, again, you had uh, actions and uh, and discussions on public matters and uh, the expenditure of public funds taking place in private. Um, that's really, in our view... <laughs> What the focus and the concern is with all these, with the texting issue that that arose, uh, that we discussed slightly, uh, with this issue as well. Look, we're we're in a state that sadly has had a lot of corruption at at all different levels, uh, and has had um, you know just outright corruption or or uh, contracts that have been given out in in kind of secret fashion. And so the idea of this is to bring everything to light. Uh, we agree that it, the process for doing so and the requirements for doing so cannot be so overly burdensome to municipalities or to school district that it, it, it essentially stops them from functioning. Um, I, I don't. That is clearly not our intention, and in fact, that's why we worked with the League of Municipalities to work out things that could be comfortable for all. I, I understand. Um, the concerns of, of school boards association, because actually not all of our suggestions were accepted, and some went a lot further than uh, what what we'd agreed to. But but that said, for example, here with the subcommittees, uh, it should be in public if they are making decisions that affect the the lives of the public that uh, that they're they're entrusted uh, with serving, and that expend public money. Um, then the public has the right to be at those meetings because those are, in effect, uh, where those decisions are taking place. Uh, wouldn't uh, – maybe Vito could step in, but boards uh, – committees don't really make decisions. They make recommendations. At least that's my understanding in our 
training says that. You're, you're uh, so, correct. It would be unlawful, actually. For so we don't we don't need to amend the Sunshine Law. You need to call the prosecutor, right? If, if, right. if there are subcommittees spending public funds, it's a lot bigger issue than whether the public should be there. That's just not lawful. If the right. suggestion is that the debate is taking place more at a committee level than at a board level, I think that's what the subcommittees are for. But if, if the suggestion is that the actual decisions being made to authorize the expenditure of public funds, that's just plain unlawful as all the laws would exist right now. That's right, and, and perhaps I, I used a slightly poor terminology, but, that, but that's correct. The decisions and the recommendations are going to be made to the full board, but those decisions uh, – sorry, the, 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 the discussions and recommendations – um, are are occurring at the at the uh, subcommittee or committee level, um, and the, the, this would this would resolve that. Um, and what what we what we try to do again with the with the, the the League of Municipalities jointly is to create a situation where there were certain requirements. They were not the complete requirements that would be required. Uh, for the full board and the full board vote, recognizing that that is, we are dealing with a different level, we are dealing with a committee level, um, that was not currently accepted and uh, and and uh, encompassed in the uh, bills as currently proposed. Perhaps they will be uh, in the future, uh, because I do think there there will be amendments. Uh, because and again, because I think there are important open government issues based on. Um, New Jersey's past, uh, but again, there, there are ways of working it out where where it is not so overly burdensome that a committee cannot simply say this is when we are meeting, and as far as um, the the minutes go, to simply say here are the people who attended, this is when we attended, this is what we discussed, and some smaller form of a noticed requirement. Uh, Vito, two things. Uh, what I've heard from some boards uh, is the cost factor, and you kind of alluded to that. Um, a uh, particularly with advertising the, the committee meetings, and maybe even with the minutes, uh, uh, could a district or could a municipality make it that's a state mandate, state pay uh, case because uh, they uh, weren't expending this money before? Um, honestly, Ray, I hadn't thought about that, but congratulations. I think that uh, you have suggested a remarkable reaction to that from, from municipalities, maybe even some school boards would take the lead on. Um, and I, I said it only half tongue-in-cheek in the sense that um, there are readily identifiable costs being imposed in connection with some of these recommendations. And I don't know that they really are going to do anything to, quote-unquote, root out the corruption uh, that uh, um, Ed mentioned at the beginning of this uh, discussion. Um, the people who have um, used their public offices to enrich themselves and engage in wrongdoing are not going to be thwarted by the idea that you can't uh, text someone else at the council during a meeting or that you have to be a little more forthcoming about your subcommittees. That, that sort of bad behavior, if we were going to try to legislate that out, um, would, would cripple uh, local governments and probably still wouldn't result in stopping all of the wrongdoing that unfortunately we read about um, too frequently. Uh, the, the, um, the ideas, as I said earlier, about some more predictability and some more definition about what needs to be disclosed, that's helpful. But when you talk about not being able to have subcommittee discussions that aren't fully disclosed, the practical and the financial implications are significant, not just in terms of 
advertising the discussion, but you know when you're talking about certain issues as it relates to personnel and the sort of things that school districts discuss before they're ready to be debated and voted on publicly, you know whether to um, change uh, whether the sixth grade is going to be at the elementary schools or move to the middle middle school, whether to redistrict, whether to eliminate certain positions as a reaction to certain budgetary needs. Just the idea of having that discussion um, cannot be productive if it has to be um, discussed at the same time as the public is discussing it because some of these ideas require, and the existing laws recognize this, um, that they require a discussion which is not readily available to the public. And I'll mention one other cost that I see rarely mentioned anywhere. Again, many of the advocates for open government are concerned about the way their tax dollars are being spent. And there is no doubt, based on my experience, that these laws are often used as a weapon by litigants or potential litigants who bury a municipality with OPA requests when there's no litigation, or quite frankly, even when there is litigation and the discovery period has closed, beating up the municipality. And the municipality is obviously not in a position to fight back unless the adversary is another government body. So they have to deal with these burdensome requests that are not from the media or from some interested member of the public, but they're being used as a device to beat the municipal entity over the head. And it makes it difficult for me as an attorney sometime to have certain discussions with, with my client and to have them discuss legal issues among themselves that are going to be important to either avoid litigation uh, or perhaps resolve litigation because that requires, quote-unquote, confidentiality that some folks use as synonym for secrecy, but not in a bad way. So even in my efforts to protect a, a governmental body and to have discussions that under the existing laws would be confined lawfully to a committee and confined to documents that would not have to be revealed, it makes doing the business, the legitimate, legal, honest business of these governments more difficult. And I think that is something we always need to keep in mind when we're tinkering with and trying to improve these laws for noble reasons but they may have ignoble implications. Let me, uh, Ed, you can jump in on this, but I'll, yeah. I'll make a point and you follow up. Uh, from Ed's perspective, uh, you want to see the, gov the, the business of the government. And uh, he might be saying, well, at the committee meetings, that's where the real discussion is. And so how does the public get to know what the real discussion is, Vito, then? Is that kind of paraphrase what you might be thinking, Ed? Well, that's true, and I also think it's a bit of a red herring to say uh, what a, you know to be concerned about these confidential areas because if uh, there's a need to go into closed session, you can always go into closed session. In fact, the ACLU fought um, uh, against some provisions in uh, OPMA that would have opened up uh, that would not have protected, for example, attorney-client conversations. Uh, you know, we recognize the need for privacy. We recognize the need for privacy in certain personnel issues, uh, and but and there's a balance. So it, it we we do say that there should be when we're, you're talking about why you're making a decision to see for the public to see what is going in to this decision making, uh, for the public to be able to know that. But at the same time, those things that are supposed to be confidential under the bill. Uh, or under the current law and, and under all the proposals that we seek to have proposed, they will remain confidential. Well, let me. I'm going to make a, a um, an admission here on behalf of the 
you know, 30-some-odd school districts I either currently represent or have had the chance to represent over the years. There are um, issues that don't fall into those exceptions that you don't want to discuss in front of the public because they're highly sensitive and they may not go anywhere. And All you're going to do is visit um, confusion, concern, chaos, anxiety on people. And the example I used earlier, because it's one of the things that always gets concerned citizens out in, in, in large quantities for a school district is the idea of redistricting, mm-hmm. right? So there's an elementary school over here that's sort of bursting at the seams, and we've got these two others on the other side of town that um, have capacity, and so you're going to sort of redraw the lines of where kids go to school as a potential to resolve that rather than build an addition onto the uh, crowded elementary school, Okay. I assure you that doesn't fall into any of the exceptions. So how would you have a fulsome debate with maybe a demographer, your school administrators, and board officials about whether that's the right approach? And, oh, my goodness, if we go down that path, how would we make these decisions? What would we do about siblings and friends who are broken up? You could draw a line down the middle of a certain street. What about this neighborhood? And you ultimately may decide not to do any of this. Well, if you were to float that idea at a public meeting, you would visit upon that public body a remarkably distressing and disturbing event that would pollute the whole community, and it may never go anywhere. So typically, a school district isn't going to have the unlawful executive session discussion about this. It would have it assigned to a committee, and at some point, the committee would make a recommendation. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do that. Now, if it dies at the committee level, as happens at all levels of government, including Washington, so be it. But if there is a recommendation, um, there is going to be discussion and a vote. I absolutely agree with Ed that the discussion that occurs at the board level more often than not does not mirror and does not fully reflect everything debated at the committee level because it would be inefficient, therefore, to have committees if you were going to simply uh, redo that discussion at the board level. Does that mean that the public is is somehow missing out on some of these discussions? I will further concede to Ed, Ed's point, yes, but government can't function without those Discussions, And I think that there is plenty of room between, quote-unquote, having the decision really made at the board level – I'm sorry, at the committee level and then being rubber-stamped by the board and having had committee-level discussion that simply results in a recommendation to the board. And um, I don't think redistricting is a unique issue. It's one that I think is a good example because it doesn't fit into any of the exceptions that would allow for an executive session discussion. But you would cripple government if the committees – were restricted to the same uh, uh, Open Public Meetings Act exemptions that allow for executive sessions because there are plenty of discussions that need to take place without reservation and without public um, at the committee level. And I think uh, taking that away from government is a bad idea. I'm going to be moving away from this committee. Uh, do you want any f- f- brief final remarks on committees? Cause, uh, Ed? Uh, no, other than to say that you know you, you speak with the demographer and all those things. You Individual uh, Board members can still do what they seek to do, um, but when there's a discussion where there's something, uh, a formal proposals, for example, uh, that uh, you know are, are things that are, are are going to be taken as this is what's being proposed to do, then those types of discussions should be uh, open to the public, and and that's why when we work with the League of Municipalities, we work to say certain. Uh, there, there should be requirements. We, di- we don't say that the, the requirements on subcommittees should be to the extent that it should be on the full board meetings. Uh, but yet there needs to be that openness. Sunshine is the best disinfectant. And to make sure that you don't have any backroom deals, and I'm not 
putting this idea that any particular group is doing that, but we know it happens in New Jersey and has happened in the past. It's come out. Um, and that's that's the intent here. That's the intent, and that's what we want to work on, to make sure that that the sunshine is shining bright on what is happening and that these deals don't happen. And I, I know you're moving on, but I would like to get back to just two two things quickly. One is the idea of the, the funding. We we think uh, it wouldn't it be great that if the state uh, actually did help with the funding. The idea of creating a website that all municipalities, all school boards can put up their notices uh, so that it, it is a relief of a burden on the uh, local municipalities. Uh, and then the, the second thing is just the idea of um, well, I think you may be moving on to texting. So, so I'll, yeah, that's what I'm going to be moving I'll, on. I'll, to. I'll keep my second comment for for that. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to uh, before I move on. Uh, if anyone's listening, I, I know there's a few out there. If you want to ask a question, you dial one three four seven nine eight nine eight nine zero four and press one. Uh, the two guests are Vito Gagliardi Jr. and attorney with. Porzio Bromberg and Newman. Uh, he represents numerous school districts, and Ed Barocas with the New Jersey chapter to ACLU. Um, Ed, I'll, I'll go to you, and then I'll go back to Vito. Uh, the texting, and you know, I said it in the beginning. Uh, it's amazing how much um, technology has really affected this law. Uh, why do you think we need to have the the texting addressed, and uh, how? Should can we address it? Right. So what we've seen with with new technology is that the is that there are a number of entities that have used it, whether nefariously or not. Um, they have used it to essentially avoid the requirements of the Open Public Meetings Act. Uh, basically, if if you have emails, for example, even before we get to texting, between committee members, or, or I should say a, a government entity, uh, and they make their decision essentially through this email discussion uh, that when they come to the meeting and they discuss the agenda, they just say, well, we're all for it. And you don't know what goes into it, and you don't know what may inappropriately have gone into it. Uh, and it's the same problem with texting at meetings. Uh, Mr. Gagliardi mentioned that, well, you know, two people can text or three people can text. Well, they can also all walk to the bathroom together. And my point would be, yes, they could. And that it should there it should they can talk about whatever they want, what their kids did, uh, what uh, you know for the summer, what what uh, restaurants they like. But they shouldn't be talking about items on the agenda. It is simply inappropriate whether whether they're doing it on a smoke break or whether they're doing it through testing, uh, texting. And this bill uh, is being amended to ensure that that doesn't happen. When something is supposed to be open to the public, it should be open to the public, and the public should not be denied access to that information about uh, what affects their money uh, and their rights. Uh, Ed, um, before I let Vito uh, ask a question, I'll admit I have my droid. On. Whenever it things, I look at it. Uh, it's in, uncontrollable, uh, and I look at it probably every 15 minutes, whether I hear a sound or not. Uh, we're kind of addicted to it. Uh, so, but how do you enforce that? I mean, uh, do we go to Verizon or whoever our carriers and and hand over all the texts? And do you redact the ones that are to my wife that say I'm going to pick up, uh, you know, some milk and eggs after the meeting? 
No, no. I mean, I, I, no, no one is is thinking of anything like that. Uh, it's simply prohibited. And you know, I suppose you can find out through an up, open public records request um, if you ask for any texts that are sent or any emails okay. that are sent during the meeting. Um, and obviously, the email emails or texts to your wife uh, would not be included, or, or emails or texts between two. Uh, council people who are talking about uh, where they're going to going to meet for dinner afterwards also would not be included. Although I think uh, if other council people were texting Ray's wife, I think we should know about that. <laughs> that's right, and perhaps Ray should as well. Uh, I probably should uh, know that too. Yes, I think that's different. <laughs> that's right, but 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 uh, you know this this is something that that is simply common sense, and it's simply getting back to the you know getting up to date with the times that we're in. And, you know, it, it is inappropriate for council people to, again, when, especially when they know they're supposed to speak about issues out in public, to then try to take it back door, whether it be back door uh, on, a, uh, on a smoke break or whether it be back door through texting, hoping that no one notices. Uh, Vito, um, you know, Ed brings up a, a good point. And, and you brought up earlier where, you know, you might cover the microphone and whisper to someone next to you. Sure. But with texting, you could probably text someone who's across the room from you or maybe even someone in the audience. Um, how do we deal with that? Or is it just this is a hard thing to enforce anyway? I, I, I think we're, you know, legislating ourselves to death, right? I think that, you know, the, the, the Open Public uh, Records Act is uh, – um, what is it now, 22 pages long? Right, The First Amendment is, is four sentences. Okay? Um, since government began, um, government officials would talk before, during, and after a meeting in a way that the public um, didn't hear. They whisper to each other. They slip notes to each other. They make uh, faces uh, at each other. Uh, I, I mean, I've, God knows thousands and thousands of the public meetings I've attended over the past 20 years. Um, the uh, public officials communicate um, all the time, and quite frankly, the communications are sometimes irrelevant, and sometimes you would probably even describe them as, as juvenile. But even if they're substantive, uh, they have the right to have that um, private conversation. And I think it's very, very difficult to try to legislate all of this this stuff. And I don't think uh, I don't think we need to. Um, at the end of the day. Um, what they say in terms of their um, public comments on the issues and, of course, how they vote um, is available for the public to see and to judge them on. But the private conversations they may have before, during, and after a meeting, look, the meeting in the parking lot with less than a quorum where the folks who are good friends and maybe even uh, uh, political um, uh, allies talk about what went on and what's going to happen next – this is um, not something we can legislate away. And I, you know, um, in, in terms of the way these conversations go on, I had an observation I, I want to share with both of you. Um, for, for many years, I, I live in a, in a county uh, which, um, for about the past 14 or so years, has had a county fielder board um, dominated entirely by one party. Right, so there's only been one party on the fielder board for about 14 years, and in recent years. Um, the Star-Ledger has begun to run an article about who the new chairman was going to be. Not who the new chairman was as a result of an election that just took place, but who it was going to be. So the the, uh, the media, which we, we look for as the fourth estate as our watchdog, um, 
surprisingly to me, seem to accept the idea that sometime between the November election and the January reorganization of the freeholder board, the freeholders would all say, okay, so-and-so is going to be the, the chairperson, and they would write a little feature story about the person before they were even elected. Now, I remember when I was young or younger and naive or more naive, and I used to think, wow, it's exciting. We're going to sit down tonight and find out who's going to be elected the president of the board. And in a short time, I came to realize, of course, that that was often, not always, but often already resolved because people would talk and figure out who it was going to be and not want to embarrass this person. I'm going to be this. I'm going to agree to vote for this person. If you try to legislate the idea that you can't talk about who you might support for president of a board until you actually sit down and, and salute the flag and read the sunshine statement, and we got into that level of detail with this legislation, forget it. Government would come screeching to a halt. So these conversations are not only commonplace. They seem, at least from that little story I told you about the Star-Ledger, to be accepted. And I don't accept the idea that they are automatically nefarious. And therefore, I don't think that they cry out for us to try to stop each one of them out through legislation. Um, before we go on, Ed, before we, uh, uh, Anne-Marie, we have a question from our chat room. Uh, yes, Ray. Um, this, is from, this is for Vito, and it is, what constitutes a committee meeting? Is it a one-on-one -on -one with an administrator and the committee chair? Is it the follow-up meeting after the chair gathers information from the one-on-one? -on -one? And shares it with the committee, and are both meeting? Uh, excuse me. Do both meetings require record keeping? Um, well, I don't know from whether the questioner is asking about the law as it currently stands or the law as it's being proposed. Um, the law as it currently stands. Um, doesn't define committee meeting at all, and so I think – and here's an area I know Ed and I will agree on. You'd say basically anything less than a quorum by definition is a, is a potential committee meeting. Um, under the law as it currently stands, um, it does not seem to address one-on-one -on -one discussions between an administrator and a board member. It talks about the idea of a standing committee, so it's actually a, a formal committee meeting, a committee that's um, uh, organized at the direction of the board president, where the board president names the, the people on the committee, and it actually has a formal meeting. So um, I think that the current law, in terms of defining committee, what a committee is, well, that's not, that, that's not a bad thing. I have no problem with that. The idea of mandating um, uh, more onerous uh, advertising minutes and public participation, I think that's the, that's the area where I think the law goes too far. Uh, Ed, you were going to talk before oh, yeah, right. uh, about uh, Vito's remarks. That, that's right. Uh, you know, and, and, and I think obviously nothing is always going to be nefarious. The point is that things happen that are nefarious, and we need the structures in place to ensure that they don't. I, I vehemently disagree with your idea of essentially it sounded like throwing up our hands, saying, well, people always talk about um, uh, things even substantively when they're not supposed to. Um, no, we, we don't simply throw up our hands there. When, when you're talking at a board meeting um, or, or at, at a town council meeting and you have an issue of a contract that's coming up and things are going one way during the meeting and you have the, the, the head of the government entity lean over to someone and say uh, or, or email that person or text that person uh, out of public view and say, I want this contract to go to... XYZ company. I have an interest in if you don't get it there, I'm going to make things hard for you. 
But that's that crime. Not be happening. But that's a crime. Steam. Whether we whether we change this law or not, respectfully, that's a crime. Trying to influence a public official to vote that way—that's a crime. We don't need any more legislation. Well, or, 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 or even less. I vote this. I want you to vote this way. I'm voting this way. I, I would like you to vote this way too. That's not a crime. But that's something that should be out in the public. We shouldn't have these conversations happening behind closed doors. And that's essentially what's happening when you have two people texting that the public cannot see. It is happening behind closed doors. Whether it reaches a level of a crime or not, it shouldn't be happening that way if it's about substantive issues. The amendments that we were ta- that, that, that are in the bill, uh, or the amendments at least that we were recommending with the League of Municipalities, was limited to the idea that you cannot discuss with other members of your government entity those substantive issues on the agenda. So you could talk about administrative matters that you need to take care of. You can talk about other things. You can meet in the, you know, the, the, those things that you raised as, as red herrings that, that, that may be discussed are just that. When you're talking about substantive issues that are being discussed at a uh, government entity's public meeting, it's meant to be public for a reason. And when you allow these things to happen behind closed doors or closed uh, iPhones uh, without uh, without having a, a way to say, no, this needs to be public, without having that wall in place, uh, then, then you're asking for trouble. Um, Would you, if, if I may ask yeah. Ed a question, and it, it's not an antagonistic question, it's a, it's a serious question. Would you make room for the possibility that the legislation could prohibit, let's say, undisclosed conversations with a member of the public um, about an agenda item during the conduct of the meeting? Without, so there were two, right? Okay, well, say, go ahead. In other words, I'm trying to divide these conversations into two different two different categories. Let's assume that it's not an unlawful conversation. You better vote. Uh, on this contract, the way I'm telling you to, or I'm going to make things uncomfortable for you. Because as I said, that's a crime. We've already got plenty of laws for that. But if it's a discussion with the public in terms of how a public official should vote, there's an ongoing meeting. There's not them on the agenda. Um, and prohibiting that without restricting the conversations that I said have gone on for years. And not I'm not saying they're inappropriate so that we should accept them. I'm saying that the law has tolerated them up until this point. And I think the law should continue to tolerate them. The sort of conversations where, as I said, two people who happen to be sitting next to each other or getting a snack together or going out to smoke together, where they will have a conversation, one-on-one conversation, about something that's going on that night. I think that's impossible to legislate. I don't think it's ever been legislated. I don't think we need to. But I do think that your comments about conversations with the public while the meeting is going on about an agenda item is a more narrowly tailored uh, approach to the problem you articulate. So and I was just curious as to your reaction to what I've right to so, that, to so that there, dichotomy. Right, there, there is a dichotomy there, and there there are issues of concern with um, members of uh, government entities talking amongst themselves privately uh, at a public meeting, and then also speaking with members of the public. Uh, those are actually two separate parts that were put into the bill. There's concern, obviously, about both. Um, you know, but uh, each each one of them has those concerns. I think that at a public meeting, I think it's inappropriate for a, a government official to be speaking about any item on the agenda unless it's done in public. That said, there's no reason that a 
you know, we we wanted to make clear that you should you would still have the right to speak with your uh, entity's lawyer, uh, which actually wasn't in the original bill. And we in the league said no, that has to be allowed to happen privately when necessary, and the right to discuss things with your staff. Um, but our our main focus of this was that uh, government and uh, officials amongst each other absolutely should not be talking. But we limited it in our recommendation to should not be talking about items on the agenda. They can speak about other things, so of course they have the right to do that. I'm going to move the conversation on, because there's so many parts of this thing that I know Vito probably, and I know when you're working at a local level, uh, meetings come up. One of the other changes uh, I noticed was uh, the notice to, about agendas, and the notice when you have an agenda, you can't be adding something pre- within 48 hours. Things come up. Uh, at, at districts all the time, uh, had you know, in practicality, they they may have to take action, and they didn't know they were going to have to take action until like uh, the day before. Right. How do we deal with that? Uh, we recognize that 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 that's a problem, and, and therefore we we worked out language uh, that we suggested, and the league, uh, Ms. Valley suggested, uh, to cover that, which is you you do have a certain time frame where you have to get the agenda in. And if something's not on the agenda generally, with one important exception, you shouldn't be able to to discuss or vote on those issues that are not on the agenda. However, there's actually a provision already in OPMA, that uh, the Open Public Meetings Act, that allows for emergency meetings. Uh, and it's where three-quarters, or I think the, the suggested change was two-thirds of the board, believes that there's some emergency that unless they take action uh, will adversely affect the public, that they can schedule an emergency meeting. A meeting. Um, our, our suggestion was expand that right. Expand that right to have this emergency discussion to, um, to, to in fact, adding items to the agenda. So as you said, if simply a, a day before a meeting, some issue comes up that simply can't wait for the meeting two weeks thereafter and has to be discussed the very next day, then there should be that out. There should be that emergency exception where, yes, they can add things to the agenda, and it's not this steadfast, absolute rule that wouldn't allow the government to function otherwise. Vito, do you have any comment on that? Um, the short response I have is is that I think that that's um, unhelpful. Even the the offer to expand the the emergency uh, provision for having an emergency meeting, it's that's a very rare bird as it is right now, and I think it would still be a pretty rare event. But we know from those of us who try to con- help conduct the business of government that those agenda items, the quote unquote last minute items, um, that typically come up, they involve resignations, they involve hiring, they involve paying bills that simply came in over the past few days. Uh, sometimes they involve student matters, um, approving a class trip, student disciplinary matters, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, we have laws right now, for example, that you have to go from beginning to end in, in investigating every singing, single allegation of alleged bullying in 10 days, right? So there are very compressed time periods, and they have to be reported to the board. So they're very compressed time periods, and when the agenda is is advertised, a lot of these burdens placed on government simply can't be part of the agenda. The law, as it currently reads, right, says that the the um, adequate notice, uh, quote unquote, to the extent known of the agenda, and so 
um, if it was a standing uh, regular meeting under the current law, um, if you identified you're going to discuss financial issues, personnel issues, whatever, you didn't have to be um, specific. The way this law is set up, and I'll use a I'll use a hiring decision, right? You conducted a bunch of interviews. You have a potential school principal, and you want to hire them because they're interviewing elsewhere. But the interviews weren't completed, or the references weren't checked, or the background check wasn't complete um, several days in advance. It's literally complete the day before or the day of the board meeting, and you want to hire this person. Well, um, if it's a nine-person board, you need five votes to hire the person. The way this law is set up, though, if it's not on the agenda, you need an affirmative vote of two-thirds of the people present to um, to get the item on the agenda. So you'd actually need um, six of the nine to get it on the agenda so that five of the nine could approve it. Well, um, making it more difficult to hire people is not in the best interest of the public at all. And again, I don't see an evil there that we're looking to um, to root out. So oh, um, I can tell you what the evil is. Okay, yeah. Uh, uh, I'll let you finish. I'm sorry. Uh, so I'm I'm concerned about these seemingly benign and um, well-intentioned desires to quote unquote improve public access, where um, it is simply going to impede the business of government. And those who have a front row seat know that it's um, reasonable, rational, appropriate behavior of government, not nefarious behavior, that's really going to be impinged by uh, by these laws. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to ask you a. Ed, uh, and I, I don't know the reasoning for this, but I guess it would be something to the effect that you look at the agenda, you remember the public, ah, there's nothing there that I want to go to, and then you find out two days later that they voted on something that wasn't on the agenda. Is that... That's absolutely correct. And the, the problem is that that happens a number of occasions, and it's, it's another way to do something behind closed doors. So one way is actually to do it behind closed doors, but if you simply are not telling people what you are going to what your business is going to be so that people don't show up who have an interest in it, um, then that person never uh, gets to be heard, and he has a right to be heard, and he has a right to see what the discussion was, which uh, will not happen when you have people just adding items. Uh, and frankly, I don't see a problem with the idea of saying w- w- that if you can put it off until the following meeting, you do so. If two-thirds of the board decide not yay or nay on whatever the particular issue is that you're deciding, but simply that it is an emergency issue that has to be dealt with, well, then you can deal with it there. I think that is a very good compromise that ensures that governments are not hiding things, that they are not putting something on the last minute in order to undermine the, the entire purpose of OPMA, uh, but yet giving them the ability to function uh, as they need to function on, uh, on emergency matters. Uh, if you have a, a, the, the bullying law requires something in 10 days, and if you don't have another meeting in 10 days, well, then obviously it's something that needs to be taken care of there. If you have bills that are required to be paid um, and, and that can't wait for the next meeting, then you have to decide on that there. And I think that is a way of ensuring that the government functions while ensuring that the government does not function in a way that shuts out the public. Again, we're coming towards the end of our program. Um, Vito brought up an issue earlier on, and I, and I wanted to make sure we got to it. It was the idea of the redactions in the minutes and the time with that. Um, Vito, do you 
want to reiterate your concern with uh, the changes to that, the proposed changes, I should say, to uh, the, the that law, and that's the Open Public Records Act. Uh, correct. Yeah, that's um, uh, for the for the many people I'm sure following along at home. That's uh, proposed changes is to the section three of the existing act, and the specific uh, section that I was identifying was that if there's any information redacted from the um, uh, public record being produced, and I'm going to read this now. Uh, the custodian shall provide the requester with a redacted version of the document and one affidavit for the entire request that states the date of the record, the originator or author of the record, the subject matter or title of the record, and the specific statutory provision or other lawful basis for each such redaction. Oh, my goodness. I mean, uh, you know, I guess if um, we thought that there were too many unemployed uh, attorneys, we needed to take action to do something about that, and that government had too much money to spend and needed to spend more of it on legal fees, boy, this is the sort of thing that would solve both of those problems. Um, okay. But I don't know any homeless lawyers, and I don't know <laughs> I don't know any government bodies that are looking to spend more money in legal fees. And that sort of burden, written affidavits citing statutory sections, my goodness, we we, we don't need it. It's going to be expensive and ultimately unhelpful. And, uh, and yeah, are people I mean, look, concerned I, with the cost of that? Well, look, I I I I, I don't know that there you're talking about a real cost. Um, there, you know, there are different ways of doing this. Our, our big concern is the idea that if, if the uh, custodian is not turning over records or is turning over partial records and redacting uh, parts of records, that they explain why they're doing it. Uh, if your concern is lawsuits, then not giving a reason for these redactions will lead to lawsuits. Because if the ACLU puts in a request to a school board, school board gives us back uh, 10 pages of documents with three pages redacted and doesn't tell us why, well, then we need to go to court to find out why. So the idea is to say up front, this is why. This was deliberative. Uh, this, is, uh, this was information received from our attorney uh, that is covered under attorney-client privilege. We know that. Then we don't have to go to court on that because we understand. Oh, okay. Doesn't the current law require them to tell you that, though? They have to tell you well, that. They, they don't have to do it with, with this burdensome affidavit each citing each statutory section or other lawful basis. Oh, my goodness. But they have to tell you that right, right. now, don't they? Yes. Well, no. well not, not, it's clarifying that it's for redactions as well, I think, is what the current bill is. Uh, but I agree. Look, you know, statutory section, if they were simply to say, um, you know, attorney-client uh, discussion. Yeah. Right. Attorney-client privilege regarding uh, discussion of XYZ lawsuit. That's sufficient. Um, the the, the uh, custodian has already done the job of looking to find what the records are and has the records. So simply ha adding that is not really a burden. I understand it sounds you know harsh with the idea of an affidavit and all that, but the the basic idea of disclosing the why you're not turning something over is what we're concerned about. All right, uh, I have to tell you both. Uh, I didn't even get to all my issues, and I, I was. And, but we're running out of time. Um, I, and Amita, I'll let you know we had a chat room question for you. I didn't ask. It had something to do with Notre Dame football season. How how do you think <laughs> it's going to go? So it's from one of your board members, I assume. I think it was, and that would have been tougher than any question you actually did ask me, Ray. Thanks. <laughs> uh, thank you. Uh, Vito, I'd like to thank you for joining me. Uh, thanks. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so, so much for, for having me on, Ray. Uh, thank Ed, you, Ray. Uh, please, thank you for joining us. And uh, I'll... If this bill comes back up to both of you, uh, I might call you back. Ed, thank you.
Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, it's my pleasure. Uh, that brings us to the end of this uh, conversation in New Jersey education. I'd like to thank the listeners for uh, listening and uh, those who sent in some questions, except for Jerry's question on football. Um, and I will also, this is the last conversation in New Jersey education program till August, so I'd like to wish you all a happy summer, and thank you. <laughs>